Well, thank you so much. It's a real joy uh, to be with you again. Uh, it's been an extraordinary couple of years. Eh? Last time I was in South Africa, uh, my last meeting was with you guys. And uh, tomorrow, we fly back uh, through the night to the UK. And uh, on that occasion, two years ago, we had our meeting. I flew back through the night, arrived in London, and it was kind of 2020. It sounded such an exciting year. Wow, 2020. It's going to be wonderful. And uh, it wasn't. It was, <laughs> I, I got into London, and uh, people were kind of standing back, and the motorways were uh, a bit empty. And then within a couple of days, shut down. And uh, I thought, what? Shut down? Uh, yeah, you don't go out of your home. Uh, what's going on? And I've got a program. <laughs> My year looks so good. And a line went right through the whole thing. And I thought, oh, man. <laughs> so it's so good to come back to you uh, exactly two years later uh, and be with you again. And uh, for me, when I thought, what do I do? And uh, I felt God spoke to me uh, quite quickly, actually. And I felt he told me to write. I've written a few books over the years, and people sometimes say, are you writing anything? And I say, no, I don't have time. I suddenly got all the time in the world. And uh, I've been dwelling on the theme of Moses. Now, I'm fascinated that you're looking at Exodus, so I'm going to dip into there. I'm sorry I may not fit in your program of the journey, um, but it's kind of typical of the journey, and I hope it will help to uh, take you on that, on that journey. I felt God said to me, the story of Exodus is it's taking people on a way, on a journey. And uh, it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes to a Gentile church in Corinth, and he says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud, in the sea, and, and they all went on a journey together. And, and he says, all these things happened to them as an example. And they were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, Paul is writing then and saying the ends of the ages. Well, if that was the ends of the ages, then how much more uh, we are towards the ends of the ages. And we need a map. We need a compass. We need a guide. And uh, we're living in a generation where people are throwing away the map and throwing away the compass and trying to muddle through. And we have instructions. These things are written down for our instructions, something for us to live by. So I'm going to speak to you from Exodus and chapter 15. Now, Exodus chapter 15, I think, is one of the most exciting chapters in the Old Testament, maybe in the Bible, because it's that extraordinary deliverance when the Red Sea opened and they went through. And uh, when they did, that says Moses sang this great song. And that's what worship is. We've been experiencing it this morning. Worship is a response to God. It's not us singing a few little songs. It's God has revealed himself. And do you remember when Moses first went to Pharaoh, it says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Push off. <laughs> who is the Lord? That's what happened, his first encounter. Who is the Lord? Well, the whole of Exodus is God's answer from heaven. I'll show you who the Lord is. So one plague after another, after another. Then the Red Sea, and in comes, here comes the Egyptian army, chariots, horses, swords, spears, and, and, and here's two million slaves with nothing. They're on foot. They've got no defenses at all. I mean, that's the end. We're going to die. And God says, stand still, see the salvation of God. Then you get that wonderful word, stretch forth. 
the rod of God. And the sea opens up. I mean, the sea opens up. And they walk through it. And the Egyptians said, well, we could do that as well. <laughs> but they can't. They can't at all. And this song is full of it. It says, they sank like lead. The horse and the chariots have gone. Who is like you? I mean, that's what worship is like. Who is like you? It's like, there's none can compare with you. And that's Moses. He's just saying, oh. And if you like, uh, Exodus 15 is like Psalm 1 in the Bible, really. It's the first song of worship in the Bible. And it's a great, great song. And, and I, I love writing about it. I wrote a book. It's called uh, God's Treasured Possession. It's just come out last year. Uh, for IVP, uh, if you can find it, please do. <laughs> it's on electronic as well as printed. But I just went through it. it took 30, 30 chapters to take through it. Uh, but I, got, I, got, I love going through chapter 15. Wow, this is great. And, and writing, I thought, oh, that's the end of the chapter then. And then you sign, no, that's not the end of the chapter. And this is kind of typical of the journey. And it can be typical of your journey and mine. That we hit kind of highs. Oh, God, you're so great. You're so wonderful. And I think I, this is such a wonderful chapter. I thought, why does this have to get stuck in the same chapter? It doesn't really belong, you know, because it says, and I'm going to pick it up at Exodus 15 and 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And he went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw the tree into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We love being in your presence. Please come and teach us. Show us Jesus. Bless us in your presence, we pray. Mighty Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So after this, a great, great celebration and event and celebration, those next kind of scary words they went into the wilderness. Now, it's interesting that Jesus, you remember when Jesus was, as a little baby, saved, it says, out of Egypt I called my son. And that's a quote from this Old Testament story that God is bringing out a people, uh, and they get called his people uh, in this passage for the first time or soon after this. This is now a special people. And, and out of Egypt, I'm calling my son. God's about a great thing. And Jesus comes out of Egypt. He's called as a son. Jesus comes right down into our experience. He also knew what it was after his baptism, after his coming up out of like the Red Sea and starting all over again, that new person, the purpose of God. What's the next thing? He went into the wilderness. And here these guys go into the wilderness. They go into experience which maybe they didn't expect. And that can happen for us. When you first become a Christian, it's so good. It's so wonderful. Hey, I got born again. And it's so good. You think, wow, I found new life. And they make you very welcome at church. Oh, you become one of us. Oh, welcome. It's so good. Come and join us. Come and eat with us. Come and celebrate with us. We're, we're thrilled to meet you. You think, wow, this is good stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm in a new world. I know God as my father. And I'm going to tell someone at work, hey, I found God as my father. You have? 
Yeah, it's wonderful. Really? I think it's stupid. No, 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 it's wonderful. And then the coffee break, you find they're all backing off you. And they're standing in a little group. There's the religious guy over there. You think, oh, wow. No, no, it's supposed to be wonderful. Hey, just push off. Oh, I didn't expect that. And, and, and mum and dad, I've become a Christian. That's what it's like for me. I've become a Christian. What? You're going religious? My parents said to me, you're losing all your friends. What are you doing? I thought, I thought hey, you know, it's wonderful. Isn't it wonderful? And uh, it isn't so wonderful. Suddenly it isn't so wonderful. And you thought, well, I thought it was going to be great. I mean, I've, God's come in my life. and No, it's, it's not so wonderful. And then you find you go to the church, it's great, you're welcome. And then after a few weeks, I, I wasn't invited. Why, why wasn't my name on the list? I, th- I thought my name would be on the list. You forgot me. Oh, okay. So Christians forget you then. Oh, okay. I didn't expect that. And, uh, and then actually, that, I think that woman lost her temper with me. And she was sitting behind me singing. I think, boy, I didn't expect that. And then finally, sometimes you find, actually, I'm still thirsty for some of that stuff I left behind. I still want it. I, think, I, I, thought, that would be, I thought that would be finished. And I think, grief, I'm still attracted. What's going on here? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. And that, that was what it was like for me. I was, I was kind of struggling. I became a Christian. And, and, and to be honest, I was not a very good Christian. And uh, I, I felt God called my life and wanted my life and, and said, I want you. And I thought, yeah, I'm trying this, but none of my friends wanted it. And I didn't want to lose my friends. I'm in my teenage years, and you're very conscious of friends in those days and sticking together and enjoying their company. I enjoyed their company. And so, yeah, I started going to church every Sunday morning. I was there every Sunday morning. You could count on my being there, but nothing much else changed. It was really not good news at all. I was living kind of two different lives. And, uh, you know, then I would, I, I would be out often, to be honest, we'd be partying. I'd be in the bars. I'd be drunk quite often on a Saturday night. I'm in church on Sunday. That's my, that was my experience. And then I had this kind of dramatic experience of God where I felt he spoke to me and said, I want your life. And I was in church. This guy preached on Galatians where it says, you did run well. I was excited. You did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? It's a verse from Galatians. And I felt like I'm the only person in the church. There's like hundreds. There's a big Baptist church. There's like six or eight hundred on a Sunday, big crowd. And, and, and I just, I feel, wow, God, you're speaking to me. And I felt he said this to me. I want your life. I want it now. And I won't speak to you about this again. And that scared the life out of me. Because I often felt him speaking to me. I often felt convicted on a Sunday morning. I shouldn't be. I felt convicted. I felt convicted. And, and I shrugged it off. I went on. And then this word, I want your life. I want it now. And I won't speak to you about this again. I thought, wow, that is scary. If you're not going to speak to me, where will I finish up? Because I knew I was a Christian. I knew I was a bad Christian. I knew I belonged because I was always being told off. But now he said, I want to speak to you again. I thought, man, this, this is serious. And I went home and I knelt in my home and I said, Lord, I give you my life. I, I, I just, okay. And I lost all my friends. That was really tough, very tough. And, and, and I came around to the first weekend. You know, we, I had a boring job, a very boring job. I used to commute to London every day and it was boring and uh, I didn't much like it. And we lived for the weekends, me and my friends. 
And the weekend, wow, it's coming, Friday night, here we go into the weekend. And wow, Brighton, I come in town in Brighton, south coast of England, it's a holiday town, loads of, I mean, two universities, loads of young people, the weekends, the bars are full, the parties, I loved it, I loved it. And, uh, <laughs> and now I'm a Christian. See, so, so here comes my first weekend, and it's Saturday night. And I think, what? God, God, God. I said, I'd give it up. And I got on my motor scooter. I used to drive a motor scooter. So I went, I went down to town, and, I, and, I, and I, there's all the crowds and my usual bars. And I think, no, I said, I said, I'd give it up. So I drive home. I drive home. And, and, I, and I, my, this, this is real. This happened to me. I, I drove home, and, and I, it's dark. You know where we live back there. All the lights are down there. And, and my parents were in the other room. And I sat in a room. My parents are not Christian. I've got no Christian background at all in my family. And I, and I, and I go home on, a, on Saturday night. I'm sitting at home alone. I think, so this is Christianity then. <laughs> I mean, I, I was in this big church, so I didn't know anybody. You could be anonymous. There's like 800 people. No such thing as small groups in those days. I didn't know a soul. Just a pastor. Thank you for your lovely word. You know, home. And, uh, and I, didn't, I didn't know a soul. And, and I... And I sat and I thought, it's Saturday night. And it's all happening, and I'm here. And the, the young people in the church used to say, Christianity is life with a capital L. And I thought, Christianity is hell with a capital H. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting at home alone on Saturday night, and I've got years spreading out ahead of me. I thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> now, really, I, just like these people. You see, one day in the wilderness, you think, well, okay, there's no water. Okay. Two days. Wow. What about the kids? I mean, it's two million. What about the kids? I said, two, there's no water. But we're following the cloud. Yeah, we're following the cloud, but there's no water. Third day, I mean, panic. We're going to die. And I honestly felt that. I sat at home on a Saturday and I thought, I'm going to die. I can't do this. I can't keep this up. I mean, how can I keep this up? I want to be there anyway. And I've just... And do you know what I did? I, this actually happened. I picked up my Bible. I'd not done this before. And I started reading the book of Acts. Like a book, which again, is a new thing to me. And, I start, and I, I'm reading the book of Acts. And all I can say is this. A kind of bubble of hope came up in my soul. I thought, wow, this looks exciting. It, you know, in the middle of my, I thought, this, 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 wow, look what, it's not boring. I mean, prisons open, and, and, and thousands become Christians, and, and the thing's alive, and, and somebody dies, and, and, and wow, look at that, and I'm just reading Acts, and I, and I just thought, Lord, I, it looks like you can live. Yeah. I, mean, I thought, maybe I can live, maybe I won't die. That was what it was like. And I went to bed with this kind of strange feeling, maybe there's something that maybe I could drink. Maybe, because I'm so thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for that. But God said, come on, I can meet your need. Come on, come with me. You see, there's, there's temptation. There's three things you can do. One, you can say, let's go back. And if you look in the book of Hebrews, which is a very interesting book, the book of Hebrews it's written to former Jewish people who've become Christians, and they're finding it hard. Because Judaism was an accepted religion in the Roman Empire. 
There weren't many, but Judaism was accepted. And they had their synagogues, and that's okay. Now they've stepped out of Judaism into, what is this thing? Christian, what's Christianity? What is this guy? You know, and it's like, who are you? And they are being persecuted seriously. There, it says about you, uh, early on, you joyfully received the spoiling of your goods. In other words, people stole, people beat them up. And uh, at first, they, they handled that, and then they, they, the whole letter to Hebrews is saying, don't go back. Don't go back. This is better. It's better. It's better. Keep, you keep finding this word. It's a better priesthood. It's a better covenant, better sacrifice. It's all better. Come on. Keep, keep going forward. But the temptation was, oh, I had enough of this. And you can face that. You can face that. You can, I know when I first got saved, I was 16 at school. I put on a, I put on a, a badge on my, on my window. I was so excited. I'm a Christian. Put it on my, and my favorite teacher, the art teacher, who's a real flash, I really, I thought he was wonderful. He turned on me and said, ha, become a Christian, have you? I took that badge off pretty fast. <laughs> you go back. I was going back. It's a temptation to go back. It's very real. Or a second temptation is that you just, you kind of get professional. You kind of keep going. You're there in the meeting, but in your heart you feel it doesn't really satisfy. You know, I need, I need other stuff. I need, I need to find, I mean, I know, we know we're following the cloud. I know, yeah, I know it's all real, but it doesn't awfully mean a lot to me. And when I did get right, and I just started meeting the young people in the church, I was, I was kind of disappointed that several of them, it was like the meeting happened, and when the meeting was over, they came alive. Because you could talk about girls then, and you could talk about motorbikes, and you could talk about, it's like, I thought, well, I don't, I don't understand, I've come out of that, and they seem to be attracted to that. And I found something, and it's funny, you found people who were Christians who were going through the motions, really. Not really feeling. I found what my heart was longing for. Just going along. Or thirdly, you can become bitter. That's the third thing that can happen. You can grow bitter. Because what happened here was that on their journey, and it says they're three days into it, and, and I can imagine, I don't know how big a crowd, there's two million people, they reckon, two million people, so how wide was that crowd, and how long did it go back? Was it several kilometers? I mean, this is quite a crowd moving. And so the beginner, hey, we found water. And I guess the message went back. They found water. There's water up there. There is, ah, oh, three days, there is water. There is water. And there isn't water, because the water is bitter. The water's bitter. That's the whole story. This is what this is about. Yeah. You, you, you're longing for something, and it's bitter. That's what they experience. And you know, hope's raised. And dashed is worse than no hope. Because you kind of muddle on. But when you say, hey, no, we found it. Hey, there's water. There's water. And you can't drink it. It's bitter. Then they get real trouble. Now you're really in trouble. Now, they don't complain against God, because that's hard. God, you're a liar. Very few people would say that. But they say, Moses, your useless guide. Yeah. See, that's where leadership comes a bit hard. It's hard to be a leader. Because when things go wrong, it's his fault. It's their fault. They should have known better. 
They led us. And so you'll write, write, go through the book of Exodus. I've been living with it for months. Moses gets crunched several times and has to hang in to God. Because it's easier to complain against leadership than it is against God. So you find in the story, they say, Moses, what do you think you're doing? So Moses just following the cloud. But you don't often say, God, you say, leaders. Because you can get bitter. And bitterness is a horrible thing. Bitterness, it talks in the scripture about letting a root of bitterness grow up and spoil many. You've got to deal with bitterness. You've got to get it out of your system. It's very sad to meet a Christian who's got a bitter thing growing because, well, this happened. You know, my hopes have been raised. And, and I, I thought we were going to go into business. We, I mean, we were believers. And we we're all going to go into it. And they ripped me, they ripped me off. I mean, they're brothers. That guy's a deacon in a church. Absolutely ripped me off. Or this guy, he, I mean, he, he was making suggestions that, you know, I, we were going to get married. He was wonderful. I, I thought, my, I love this guy. It's just, he's everything. Oh, girl, you know, she's Miss Wright. She's the wonder. Oh, we're going to be together forever. Then you get the Dear John letter. Thank you, goodbye. Goodbye? Oh, no. I so, my hopes, I, I so hoped. It's gone. Or the house move. We found the house move. Or the job application. I mean, oh, so many things. I got the job. I think I got it. I really made a good impression. I did a good interview. I think we're there. That's the job of my dreams. Thank you. No, thank you. What? Thank you. No, thank you. Someone else has bought the house? What? I thought that was going to be our dream house. I mean, that happens, beloved. That's a story of this journey. They go on a journey. They go into the wilderness. They go into, ouch, I didn't expect that. Hope's raised and they're gone. And it breaks your heart. And what am I going to do with this? So it's hard. And very often it's hard. And I want to tell you, beloved, they arrive at the promised land. But they go through a lot of battles and a lot of difficulties. And this is one of those chapters that starts with this great song of worship. Who is like you? And they come to, ah. Now, we need to cultivate a mature spirit and trust God and keep our eyes on him and focus on him. What we find here is that they are struggling and this terrible setback kind of breaks their hearts. The, the challenges are very, very great. And as they're going on, you get this phrase. The Lord showed him a tree. Did you notice that in the reading? The Lord showed him a tree. Now, it's an interesting phrase. It doesn't say he saw a tree. It says the Lord showed him a tree. In other words, there's a kind of revelation about it. There's a kind of What's that? The Lord showed him. That, that kind of phrase you'll find right through the Bible. The Lord revealing stuff. Things that we wouldn't have known naturally. The Lord showed him a tree. And now, you'll find right through the ages, Bible commentators, going right back to Matthew Henry, you know, one of the earliest commentaries, right back to the Puritans, they say, no, no, the tree here is the cross. Let me just remind you of a few Bible verses. It says in, one, in Acts 5.30, Jesus, whom you killed, and hanged on a tree. Again, Acts 10.39, they slew him and hanged him on a tree. 
Galatians 3.13, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. When it says it is written, that's right back in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22. He, you cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What that means is this. This guy is guilty. Among Israel, if a guy blasphemes, if a guy blasphemes against God, he's outside. He's outside. We punish him. We beat him. We find him guilty. But that's all we can do. Now, God, you curse him. We put him on a tree. And God, you curse him from heaven. You curse him from heaven. Because well, we can only do what we can do, but you can do more. And that speaks of the tree we've had revelation about. This holy, holy, holy one that we've been singing about. This God, when they, it says in John's Gospel, Isaiah, when he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. He said, I am undone. The Hebrew word means lamed. It's like, I can't stand. I'm the holy one. And John says he saw his glory, Jesus. John says, Isaiah saw Jesus, and he's completely, I am undone. That's the one they hung on a tree. That's the one they stripped naked, spat on, and cursed. And it didn't look religious. It wasn't at the temple. It's outside the city wall where you put the trash, the tree. You throw it in the tree. And we've got to understand that. We hit by bitterness. How do you solve it? You come to the cross of Jesus. You're filled with wonder when you realize this holy one took on human form. This is God. Took on human form and, and was crucified for us. Beloved, you throw in the tree. You throw in the tree. You come to him. The book of Hebrews says, look, run the race that's set before you. There's a track laid for you. You say, I'd rather have her track. Looks better. No, no, this is the track. Well, his track. No, no, this is your track. Run the track that's laid out before you. Looking unto Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Let's go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. That's what the book of Hebrews is saying. Come on, keep going, keep going. Don't turn back. Hebrews 11, it sets out all these wonderful heroes of the faith. You know, they keep on, they're witnessing to us. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Don't think witnesses are watching. Bible witnesses are speaking. They are witnessing to us. They're surrounding us. And Abraham is shouting, he's faithful. Keep believing. Moses is saying, you can trust him. Sarah is saying, I found faith. They are witnessing to us. He's faithful. Keep running the race. You're you're surrounded. All these witnesses are saying, you can trust him. You can trust him. Don't go back. Looking unto Jesus. That's what it says in Hebrews. Keep running. Don't go back. Keep running. (laughs) I know for myself, my, one of my first experiences of, of this, as I'm this young Christian, I've said, right, I'll follow you, Jesus, now. As far as I know how, I'll follow you. Right, we have to learn. We're beginning to learn, beginning to do it his way, beginning to find friends in church, beginning, it's a whole strange world to me. They're all just so different to my lifestyle. They talk a different language. I'm finding my way, finding my way. And round comes my first vacation time. 
First summer vacation. Well, summer vacation were outrageous times before. I went away from home, away from my parents. I mean, you're in, I was with my friends, no holds barred. I mean, it was awful, outrageous stuff. Now it's my vacation. What does our Christian do on vacation? So I thought, I'll go to the Keswick Convention. Well, the Keswick Convention is probably the oldest Christian convention in the world. It's been running for under 170 or whatever years now. And it's famous, the Keswick Convention. People go to a big tent in what's called the Lake District of England, a city or town called Keswick, and they gather in their thousands. And I mean, the famous big preachers come. And I thought, I'll go to the Keswick Convention. I thought, man, how holy can you get? I mean, I'm not only just not doing that, I am going on a holy pilgrimage to Keswick. I mean, I thought, I was, I thought this is amazing. And uh, I said to my friend, would you like to come? Yeah, let's go together. So I've, what, what, I've got a scooter. Well, scooters are for buzzing around town. You know, just buzz around town. That's something. That's what, they've got tiny little wheels like this. Let's go to Keswick on my scooter. Well, Keswick is about as far north in England before you get to Scotland. I mean, it's way, way, way up there in the, in the Lake District, very pretty part of England. And I, well, let's go. Yeah, let's go. So here we go. And I mean, it's exciting. And I, I mean, I never wore a crash helmet. You didn't have to by law in those days. I mean, they were not cool. And I never wore a crash helmet. I didn't wear gloves. Or, I mean, I'm not a motorbike. I'm a scooter guy. I mean, it's, you know, so I'm just dressed light. Let's go. And off we go. We go to Keswick. We're, we're going, I got, I've never done this before. I'm out of town. I'm on the road. I went through London. I mean, it's before the motorways. I went through London, up through Park Lane. I'm going, oh, this is London, Hyde Park Corner. This is, whoa, on my scooter. And it's very exciting. And then you get north of London, and I'm getting what's called the A5. And it, and it goes up to what's called the Peak District. Well, the Peak District, I mean, it's not like your peaks. I mean, we're amateurs with peaks, but we've got peaks, all right? So I'm driving through the Peak District. And it's just this go up through Derbyshire and so on. You're beginning to get through the Midlands and so on. And, and wow, it's great. It's fun. Look at, this, look at the beautiful water. And then I'm looking at this massive clouds coming over. I mean, it's just huge. And, and the wind's getting up. I think, what's going on here? And we're just driving along, chug, 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 on my old scooter. Off we're going. And then the clouds come right over us. And it starts pouring with rain. And I think, hey, Lord, what's going on here? And then the rain turned to hail. And there's nowhere to hide. I mean, it's the Peter Street. It's remote. There's nothing there. It's just going on and on and on for a mile after a mile. Hill and over these. And I think, God, I'm on a holy pilgrimage. <laughs> what's this about? I mean, I gave up my vacation. This is, hey, I'm going to Keswick. Hey, hey, what's going on? And it's like every hailstone is going in my eyes. It jolly hurts. Like, ow, oh, ah, ah. And my hands, I mean, my hands are in pain. It's like, ouch, oh, ah. And these hails, I mean, it's ow, 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 oh, ah, ee, oh. Can't see any way out. There's nowhere to hide. You're in the Peak District. There's nowhere to go. Just keep going. And as I'm driving, I suddenly thought, what about his hands? It just came to me. What about Jesus' hands? What about his face? What about that crown of thorns crushed into his brow? Honestly, it just came to me. I thought, oh God, you're amazing. You're amazing. And I shouted to my friend on the back, what about Jesus' hands? What about Jesus' face? 
And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we start singing. Honestly, we're driving over the Peak District, pouring hail, singing, Jesus, you're wonderful, Jesus. And uh, it turned from bitterness to sweetness. It, it happened. We just sang. We were full of joy. We threw the cross into the bitterness. It, it changed everything. See, beloved, it's got to be a long journey. You're going to hit experiences that break your heart, disappoint you. Think, how can that happen? How can, I thought, how can this happen? This is my, I gave this to God. And then he chucked it back in my face with hail. And then I, the cross, it just healed me. It changed everything. I, I, I had the privilege of going to uh, China some years ago. And, and we were smuggling Bibles in, going back decades. And uh, I had the privilege of, I went with some friends. We were, we were staying in a hotel room, a tiny little room. And a, a Chinese pastor came to collect the Bibles from us. And again, a guy called Alan Yuan, Chinese pastor, came to our room, to, knocked on the door, he came in. We didn't have any chairs in this room, so we're sitting on the bed. He sat on the floor leaning against the wall, and we asked him questions. He was radiant. Absolutely. I thought, what a wonderful man. I said, tell me your story. When he was 44, he was taken from his wife and six kids. We had, I mean, we had five kids, so I kind of identify. At 44, he was taken away and put in prison for 21 years. Not 21 weeks, months, years, 21 years. And when he was 65, they thought he's finished, pushed him out. I, I met him when he was like 82. And his wife, the testimony was, godly men had said, I'll marry you, care for you, care for your children. She said, no, he may still be alive. He may still be alive, she waited. And when he was 65, and she, he was back with her. And he's now in his 80s. And he's, I mean, he's bright and alive. And I said, boy, you have suffered so much. And he just beamed back at me. He said, nothing compares with the cross. And there wasn't a trace of bitterness, not a trace. He's a wonderful guy. And I, funny, a little while later, I saw an article in a Christian magazine said Alan Ewan was under house arrest for baptizing 400 people in one day. <laughs> they thought he was finished. I mean, amazing. Just enjoying God, experiencing his favor, refusing to let bitterness get to him. He was a winner by the grace of God. He experienced God's transforming power. So beloved, you're going to go through Exodus together. And we're going through life. We're on a journey. Maybe you've hit things that you think, I never thought that would happen. I never thought a Christian would do that to me. I never thought I'd be deserted suddenly by my friends. I, 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 and, and you think, wow. And you think, I can't, can I live with this bitterness? But love it, I want to appeal to you as we wind up. If you know there's that in your heart, understand here, it says, he showed him a tree. He showed him a tree. It needs revelation. It says in Corinthians, the cross is foolishness to, Hebrew, uh, to the Greeks. 
to the intellectual man, cross what on earth. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. It was a, why was it a stumbling block? Well, they expected a Messiah like David, a son of David. That was the kind of messianic figure. What does David do? He takes out Philistines. You know, there's Goliath. He's only a teenager. Takes him out. Then he builds an army. It says, like, the army of God. And the Philistines are swept out of the land. Let's have a Messiah. And Jesus comes on the scene. Amazing guy. And even the Pharisees send some soldiers to go and capture him. And they go to get him. And they stand there listening to him. And they go back empty-handed. And the Pharisees say, well, they say, no one ever spoke like this man. No, I've never heard anything like it. He doesn't say, thus says the Lord. He says, I say to you. You think, wow, what is this guy? And he's healing the sick, and crowds are gathering. And at one point, he climbs a hill, and it says 5,000 men followed him, and women and children. Theologian D.A. Carson says 20,000 people. 20,000 people on this hillside. And he preached and healed. And they slept there. And the second day, he preached and healed, and they slept there. And the third day, it says in the text, he healed them all. 20,000 people and not a sick person among them. God has come down. And, and the disciples say, Jesus, these guys have followed us for three days. Better get rid of them. He says, you feed them. Well, you know the story. I mean, 20,000 are fed with to spare. And it says this, they tried to take him and make him king. He's the one we're looking for. And the apostles are pretty happy with that. I'll sit on his right hand. I'll sit on his left hand. Here comes the messianic king. And then he says this, I came here not to be served, but to serve and lay down my life, a ransom for many. I came to lay down my life. And they haven't understood. They thought the Messiah is a tough guy. And the Messiah is laying down his life to set them free. He's a stumbling block to Jews. They can't understand this Messiah. But to you who believe, he's the power of God. You who had your eyes opened, you think, oh, I love singing about the cross. I love singing about this Jesus. Because your eyes have been opened. You've seen the cross. Amen? Let's live in the light. Maybe you're a guest here this morning. If you've never seen the cross, it's the answer. It takes away all our guilt all our shame, and if you'll allow him, all your bitterness. Can we stand to pray, please? Lord Jesus, we are so deeply grateful that you, the Holy One, the awesome God, took on human form and allowed yourself to take away not only our guilt, but to take away our bitterness. Lord, I pray for every person here this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Will you just come to God and say, Lord, I'm so, you know this has hurt me so much. I'm so disappointed. But I just thank you so much that you have sunk lower than I've ever been. You cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thank you, you brought utter deliverance. And I I refuse bitterness right now. I receive grace, but I obtain grace and refuse bitterness. Will you do that as we draw our meeting to a close? 
as Mark comes to pray for us now. Just uh, as Terry was speaking, just had this idea, what's, what's the difference between bitter and better? And uh, you'll know, it's just an I in the middle of it. And yet Hebrews, the very people Terry was speaking about, these people who needed courage for the next run ahead, had the potential for major bitterness in their knowledge that more trials were coming. In that book, the writer says, Jesus is better. There's no way through bitterness unless you see the better. He's always better. He was better than Moses, who paid a great price. He was better than any promise this world could ever make. Jesus is better. And then because he is better, he needs things like bitterness to fall off like chains hitting the ground, making a noise. Can you close your eyes for a minute? I feel as Terry hit that vein about bitterness, God wants to rip that out of us today, guys. He wants to rip it out of you. Maybe you are standing next to the person you're bitter with. Maybe you were bitter on the way to church this morning. I don't know, but I know it needs to go because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And he's got it for you. Just don't settle with a low-grade bitterness less than the person next to you. Take on the better, His blood, His grace, His goodness, His kindness. Him that hung on that tree rips out the bitterness today. But will you in faith move? Will you move again now? Will you move again? This is not a moving into salvation. This is a saying, I believe. And because I believe, I'm moving into the better. I'm covering myself with Jesus once again. And I want to ask if there's bitterness in hearts this morning. Disappointments. Not just in church. Anyone. We, it's not just I'm not bitter with anyone in church. That is too low a standard. I'm talking any bitterness. Parents that have disappointed you. Bosses that have let you down. Disappointments in the last two years of Corona. God wants to rip it out this morning. I want to pray for that this morning, that the better would override the bitter every time. But actually, we need to move in faith. And if that's you and, and you know the aspects of bitterness in your story, I want you to raise your hands in faith this morning. It's a faith action I'm calling on you. Saying in faith, will you move again? In faith. And as these hands are raised, as a God who loves to meet faith, He's better. Jesus, Spirit of God, you are here now. And we believe as the word is preached, signs and wonders will follow. I pray the chains of bitterness that have resided for years, maybe even decades, limiting and hindering the possibility of the better in our lives because of the perfection of Jesus' blood. I declare chains come off this morning, God. Bitterness ripped out from its deep-seated roots in lives this morning. Ripped out because Jesus is better. He's always better. He's always better. Always better. Can you in faith this morning, if that's you, can you say it either out your mouth or in your soul? Just say, bitterness be gone. Now you've got to say it with courage and faith and declare it this morning because he's been camping for a long time in your story and we're moving camp. Say bitterness is gone. Bitterness. Be gone. 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 Be gone.
Thank you, Jesus. He's better always. He's always better. Jesus is better always. So much better, better. Hear the chains coming down. Jesus is better, so much better. He's better. Will you declare that with me this morning? If you've prayed against those bitterness to go, will you say this? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better. He's better. He's better than any promise of this world. He's better. He's better than any chain that would come. He's better. He's bigger. He's greater. He's mightier. He is stronger. He is faithful. He is true. He is eternal. He is the beginning. He was there at the beginning. He will be there at the end. And he's coming back for a bride that sees him as better. Always. 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 We worship you, God. Thank you for freedom and life and joy. Thank you for your word. Thank you that songs, as the song of Exodus 15 was sung out, the first song sung, I pray songs will be sung today and in the days ahead as bitterness is uprooted. And the song of Jesus, who is better, sings out over his people. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. We praise you, God.